Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. I, um, I've been a practitioner all my life. I'm not an academic, even though I've been an adjunct professor. And uh, so the scars I have on my back hopefully represent some wisdom I've gained through my work experience. But I've often thought, wouldn't it be great to be both an academic and a doer? to actually have thought leadership ideas that you actually actually implemented in a practicum in a, in a company. And especially when it comes to leadership development, which is a messy ecosystems of silos of excellence. And there are practitioners out there who are attempting all the time to understand how to help companies get to the next level of performance. And of course, developing leaders who can help them do so. Uh, I was able to track down a true thought leader, an author of six books. Uh, he, he, he said to me, he's, he's worked for like six different CEOs and, uh, and, and like five um, uh, human resource officers. Uh, at one time he told me he worked for four at once. So, um, but he is known for some of the most sustainable programs under different leadership in the same company. And, and of course, testing these ideas that are circulated among thought leadership in this space. Uh, I wanna welcome uh, one of the top organizational psychologists and recognized thought leaders in talent management and leadership development over the last 30 years, Alan Church. Alan, welcome to The Great Conversation. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me here. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here and have, have a good chat with you about this. Oh, it's going to be fun. Again, our fireside seating, as everyone knows, unscripted. Uh, but boy, uh, based on the conversations we've had in the past, we have such a rich trove to dive into for a limited amount of time. But I think one of the ways we left our last conversation is we've gone through um, we've gone through a major, major blip um, called the pandemic. And uh along with other converging forces like technology, AI, um, the idea of work-life balance, the idea of, you know, of sickness becoming a weapon in the marketplace but again during the pandemic, you have all these different forces that actually started to, I'm, I'm going to say, actually started messing with the wires of our brain a little bit on how we think about leadership and people. Um, so what I'd like to start with is what have you seen over the last five, six years that have informed and infused your current thought leadership around talent management and leadership development? Does that sound fair? That sounds absolutely fair. So I, I think, Ron, I mean, it's a great question. And it's one that um, that I, I've actually presented on recently a couple of years ago at the conference board. Even during the pandemic, some of this, this same topic came up. And uh, I, I thought about it a lot and actually worked on it when I was at PepsiCo. So one of the things that we had just finished building as the pandemic hit was a brand new leadership model. And it was called the great five. And so very straightforward, you know, growth relationships, execution, agility, and thinking, which on a surface level sounds simple, but when you dig into it, there's a lot of science under it. And that was the model we were rolling out and COVID hit. And I remember being on a top 200 leader call, you know, with, with everybody there, the CEO and all the top leaders of the company, and one of the questions came up from somebody in the audience that was on a, you know, one of the calls, is our leadership model out of date now? Even though we had just launched it, right, and spent a year working on it. 
And um, and so I was on the spot. And my answer at the spot, my sort of immediate thought was no, leadership is leadership. But I did want to go back and take a look at that, right? And if you think about um, kind of core leadership theory and, and research that goes back to the 60s and the 80s, a lot of it's pretty consistent. And it developed then, and you think about kind of the characteristics of leaders, and that's all been sort of very stable for a long time. So COVID challenged that, I think, because people were caught off guard and they had to manage and lead in different ways, you know, especially the professional population who were no longer present, right? You and I talked a lot about, and maybe we'll get there later on today, the issue with being present and visible and how that fits into relationships and companies. But, you know, I literally, I got the question and I went back and I said, all right, let's take a look at what people are saying, right? I mean, that's what we do. And um, so I looked at, you know, different reports from Harvard and McKinsey um, and, you know, American Psychological Association and BCG and all, all kinds of corn fairy, all kinds of groups out there, because, of course, they're the first ones to move on providing content on this area. And I, I took a look at all that and I said, all right, what are they saying? And OK, so we went through a list. Emotional intelligence. OK, well, why was that not important before? Right. So, yes, it's important now. It was important before. Collaboration. I have to argue that collaboration was always a significant leadership capability, right? Uh, inspirational leadership, sure. But again, how is that new? You know, um, credibility. So all of those things that came up to me were very much the same kind of characteristics that we had before. Maybe they manifest differently. Maybe, you know, collaboration and being a good leader who collaborates looks differently over Zoom or over remote work you know, when people aren't in the office than when you're sitting there in a, in a room together, but it's the same competency. It's the same characteristic. It's just a question of how it's demonstrated. The ones that did emerge that were a little different, which are kind of interesting, and I think there's some debate, and you and I can have this discussion. One of them is empathy. So a lot of people talk about empathy now, and empathy is an interesting one because, um, A, people don't really know what it means. <laughs> so there's a challenge with that. Sometimes people think, you know, it means you just feel for somebody else. It's not that. I mean, there's a piece of that, but it's really that you can see yourself in their shoes and you can feel from their perspective. So you can have, you know, sympathy for people, but you can't have empathy with everyone if you haven't lived their experience. It's very hard to do that. And so that was one that kind of came up and people are talking about empathetic leadership. And if you've never been in the situation other people have been in, it's hard to have true empathy. Another one that came up was resilience. Well, again, you know, people have been talking about resilience forever. And sure, COVID put a lot of strain on people, but I'm not sure that's any different. The question is maybe what it looks like or what you have to do to be resilient in a remote situation and, and you know, kind of leading that way. But the competency is the same. And then you get to, um, you know, kind of a growth mindset. Well, that was popular before. That goes back to 2000s and the 90s. So I, my fundamental feeling is that there is no real quote unquote, new set of competencies post COVID. I really don't believe that. Um, and my, you know, having built leadership models, I built five leadership competency models, if you will, at PepsiCo during my 21 years, um, partly for different leaders, right. And different flavors. And I built probably 15 or 20 prior to that consulting to fortune 100. And the bottom line is leadership is leadership. It's all about 85% the same, you know, what's different. And you and I talked about this, Ron. What's different when you're building them for companies or building them internally is the language that's really salient at the moment. You know, what's important to that senior leader, that CEO? What's the 
the current strategy or, or a cultural agenda being driven that needs to be amplified. So as an example, you know, in some companies, um, certainly in the early 2000s, inclusion became a huge, a huge area of leadership, right? And culture. And it's not that that leaders were not inclusive before. That wasn't a piece of bringing people along, but it wasn't called that. And it wasn't called out as a singular dimension, right? And that's kind of grown. And so the same thing to me was some level of empathy and resilience. Those are things people have always done, thought about, been measured on, you know, to some extent trained, although I don't know that you can train empathy, but but they became more salient as the as COVID kind of came through and people were feeling distance from others. And so you have to amplify that. You know, another great example is um, I'm working with a client now where they've had a leadership model and they have a new a change in leadership. And one of the areas they really want to focus on is this idea of sense of urgency. And again, sense of urgency, you know, it's not a it's not really a competency in that way. Um, it's really decision making probably is this is the actual competency. But for them, the cultural change of fo focusing on speed is what's important. Right. So the content's the same. It's that 15 percent of special sauce on top, that language of 15 percent that makes it really unique to companies and actually resonate with people at the time. So I think the whole thing is pretty much the same. <laughs> it's just um, what's been amplified, Ron, as a result of, of COVID. So uh, that what's fascinating about this, and I think I think uh, practitioners in this space, as well as managers, leaders in this uh, who are working to implement these strategies, you just said something I think very profound. And that is no matter what the science is today, the credible science, the established consistency of leadership over time, there is a sense of bespokeness, if you will, uh, in, in every company. And, and say it a little differently. You are unique. It's okay to be unique. Right. You may have cultural mandates. You may have a, a certain style of culture. You may have a market space that demands a certain degree of amplification of one or more of these traits. The role then, and I'm going to ask you how this is done, the role of the doer, the role of the maybe the consultant inside the company and or the doer is to be sensitive to the how you do that. So how one, how would they recognize that 15%? And then what would they do to then tailor it to meet the need, to meet the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, I think that the way it gets identified and whether you're inside or outside the company and whether you're a, even if you're not a student of leadership, it's pretty straightforward to think about it, right? What do the best leaders do that are most successful that you see every day, right? And in some cases, it may be that it's not, what they've done to get there today, but it's what they're doing now that they're reacting to the things happening that you can see is the future that you need to have, right? So it's not always it's um it's not always about what what gets you there. It's sometimes about what gets you forward. But either way, it's what's working really well for leaders and figuring out behaviorally what they do. You know, what are good examples of behavior? And so if it's just take, you know, inclusiveness, right? What are some great examples of leaders in your company that are being inclusive, that people appreciate, respect, see? Can you capture those, articulate them in a way that you can actually share with others and say, this is a behavior that you can do? And then ultimately, to your point, figure out how to measure it, give them feedback on it. 
and develop it through training or for other types of coaching, mentoring, whatever types of uh, development experiences you want to provide for people. But it's it's very much a, um, you know, you have to go in a little bit immersively and figure out what's actually working. Because the from the outside, we can say the theory says, the research says uh, that something's important, but how it manifests in a company can be very different. And culturally, the companies do have pretty strong cultures in some cases that are different, right? I mean, you've seen this in your work. Um, not everything works the same way in every company, you know? Everybody has to deal with performance at some level, but nobody does performance management exactly the same way, right? Um, and it's the same thing with leadership. It's never exactly the same, but there are consistencies underneath it that you can use as a baseline if you are starting to build something for a company. That's terrific. I'm, um, I'm almost, I, I can't help myself. For a second, let me go with this analogy. If your leadership development program is a product, um, then the best way to get a product to market is not to develop it and hope they will come, uh, but to study the behaviors of the marketplace. Uh, like Steve Jobs said, you don't ask them what they want. Right. You study their behaviors and they'll tell you what they need. Right. And they, they won't be able to articulate the future innovation. Right. Right? right. So what you're doing is the same thing in a sense. You're saying be good product managers here. You're going to develop a product called a leadership development uh, program, if you will. Study mm -hmm. the behaviors of the leaders in, that are currently being successful as your first uh, kind of uh, customer test case. Yeah, exactly. And it's I, I would say there's three parts to building any of these things. Um, and, and to your point, Ron, the, fir the first part is, though, to say, what do we know from the science, right? You got to start with what we know, right? So you start there and that's your base. And we know, I know every model I've ever built in my life, self-awareness is going to be a key component. It goes back to my dissertation, right? In Columbia. So self-awareness is important and that's why data is so important and feedback. But, you know, and being inspirational and charismatic at some level is important. There's always going to be something about that. Always something about strategic thinking, whatever that is, because you need that for the business, right? Um, and you need inspirational for people. And so there's always going to be something. So you start there and then you you do your observations, your interviews, you find out, you know, what both the leaders think, but also what employees think. You know, what do employees think about really good leadership that they've seen and what bad leadership they've seen in the company you're in? Because that's where you're really tailoring it. And then you you build your model. And then the third part, though, that we haven't talked about yet, but gets to your product manager point of view, you have to package it. You have to package it in a way um, that people will embrace it, not just receive it. So, you know, one of the things that's something I learned, to be honest, over the course of my career, having lived through some models I built that had that science orientation, because that's my background, but they were a little too flat, maybe a little too clinical at times. Right. And just some of the terms might not resonate with people. They understand them, but they don't love them, you know. And if they don't love them, they're not going to use it, right? Unless they're forced to by HR processes, which of course sometimes happens. But but really this last model that I built for me was sort of the pinnacle of, of leadership models in my career. And it's simple, right? It's that grade five. It's very hard to forget the word great. I mean, it, good to great was the very first book I think I read in college, you know, that got me into this whole field in general. Um, and what, Kuzis and Posner, I think, right? And so you, you know, it's funny, and if you think about my career arc, that all of a sudden, towards the latter part of my career, I'm coming back to the word great, right? So it's just fascinating. There you go. Yeah, it's one of the first books I read. And 
you know, we we did all this research at PepsiCo for a year and did everything I said. You know, we built our, our research. We did internal data. We looked at surveys. We looked outside to see what Cutting Edge was saying in terms of other companies, et cetera. And we packaged it. And I presented it. And my CHRO said, Alan, this is great. I love the science. Thank you. And then six months later, I got the call and he said, Alan, I can't remember your model. And if I can't remember it, I can't use it. And I said, you know what, Ronald? So this is Ronald Chelikins, who is my, my former boss and CHRO of PepsiCo. I think he's just retiring now. But, um, but he, you know, he said, I can't remember it, Alan. And I said, all right, give me, give me a couple of days. So we go back and we do a little ideation, a little bit, and tried a bunch of words and acronyms. And in the end, and maybe this is specific to my former company, PepsiCo, right? Um, because the sales and marketing kind of flavor. So maybe that helps. But we came back with the word great. And again, it's very hard to argue that you don't believe people should be growth oriented, right? That they should focus on relationships, that they should be able to execute. For PepsiCo, that was actually kind of speaking to bespoke elements. Some companies would say execution is not a leadership competency. For PepsiCo, growth engine, it is. Execution is a leadership competency there. Agility, you've got to be able to be agile. And COVID was a piece of that. And thinking. And the thinking is very simple. But it, it underneath thinking, there's horizon one, two, and three. There's strategic thinking. There's operational thinking. You know, all the good stuff underneath that we can measure and give feedback on. But at a high level, tell me a leader shouldn't be growth oriented, right? Execution mindset and agile and relationship focused and be a thinker, period. And, and it worked and they love it. And it's still going strong now, four or five years after we launched it. It's still there. It's embedded in all the assessment tools. It's in everything. It's uh, It really has worked out to be, the, I think, the best model I've come up with in my career. For someone like you, um, again, following that, I, I, I tested that analogy and again, a great product manager can get all the features and functions nailed down by studying the behaviors of their customers. Uh, they develop the product, but then if uh, it's kind of like, uh, was it Drucker who said, but if you can't market it, you're not going to, if you can't right. sell it, it's not worth anything, right? I don't care how how well you nailed the product. So right. you actually have created uh, and what, what, you're, what you're urging for your peers is to learn how to sell it. Yeah, yeah. And you can sell it with science. And I know a lot of my colleagues in the in the IO psychology field and, and organization development fields um, would say we sell it through science. And yeah, you know, some organizations really appreciate science. Like I guarantee you, some of my colleagues in the old days in pharma, you know, they appreciate science, right? Um, some companies less so, but but that's not enough. You know, the, the selling through science says this is great to be something that's grounded. This is an important model that we can use because it has a basis in research, but they still have to be able to remember it to use it. It still has to be there for them, right? Easy to remember. Um, and, you know, things like having more than seven is just a no-no. We, we know from, you know, early, early psychology, most people can't remember more than seven plus or minus two things, right? That's the range. And seven is outer range for most people, I think, these days. So five is a great number, right? So if you have nine competencies or 11 leadership competencies, forget it. Nobody's going to remember them. If you have five, maybe seven, you can have a conversation with people about leadership without all the tools you have to have, even though you know that this is based on good stuff, right? And that's kind of the that's kind of the difference. Alan, you know, I study market ecosystems um, in my practice. And what I'm trying to do is understand the influences around the transactions of value. 
for a particular class of product or service. That's what I do for my clients. I also look at the mind of the investor to see what ideas are coming forward in the future so I don't get caught with my pants down on whatever strategy I help the company with. So I want to know what's happening in the future. And you're constantly looking at the future too. But what I, what I love about this, what I love about this is um, you know, you're, as you're saying to your peers, you can sell a program to HR in many companies just based on the science, but it doesn't mean it will stick. That's right. That's it right. doesn't mean it will stick. Because the normal employee doesn't care about the science. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, um, you know, and again, I do think it's a little bit, Ron, <laughs> the experience of being in a marketing company for 21 years has kind of convinced me of that, right? Um, because there's this whole belief from a lot of organizational psychologists, and rightfully so, I think, that, you know, change in organizations, and that includes new leadership constructs, new vision, new values, new strategy, has to be driven from the top. I mean, there's a bottom-up mentality, sure, but to have a true direction that everybody's going to follow, it requires CEO engagement, if not, if not actual visible endorsement and use, right? I mean, it's not CEO sponsorship. We always say, oh, well, you need the sponsor. That, that's not enough, right? CEO's got to live the stuff and talk the stuff. Um, but, you know, if, if it's just science and you're just selling to HR and the CEO doesn't really care, they, they appreciate it, but they don't live it, they don't believe it, it's not going anywhere. And if employees don't feel it, it's not going anywhere. So you need managers, the CEO, the C-suite, everybody to say, this feels right for my company. This feels right for me. And therefore, I'm going to use it. And that's the that's the sweet spot if you can get there. Yet based on science, based on good stuff. So we know we're not missing things, right? We're not just making stuff up. We're, we're using the science to ground it and then flavoring it with what's going to fit for people and doing it in a way that's really going to have an impact. Because what you want is this stuff to really be used, whatever the framework is, to make leaders better, right? To make them more effective today, to make them better positioned to learn and grow into the C-suite of the future and to make it better for employees overall from a culture point of view and from a career growth and development of themselves. That's the goal, right? It's not just to have the best model ever. It's to have the best model that has the best impact on a company in a variety of micro, meso and macro ways. And that's why you're unique. You sit on a treasure trove, peer review ideas, books that you've published and and yet at the end of the day you walk into that c-suite uh and you realize you have to be the great translator yeah it is a translation it's an exercise in translation for sure um and that's that's one of the attributes i'll tell you that i've seen some colleagues of mine and then this is broader than just talent management but not be as successful, right? Even in HR, they in, in some leaders, and you may have seen it in other functions, I'm sure, but it's the the more specialized you are sometimes, and, or the more deeply affiliated with a function you are, sometimes the harder it is to step back and say, what do everybody else, think? what is normal, what's normal for people, right? What would they actually gravitate to versus we're going to change performance management to give you five points now because it's so much better and we're anchoring better. Well, okay, nerds may like that. But the average manager saying, why, why is this really better for me, right? Why do I care? Like, I want it to actually drive performance. So if you can tell me that, that it's going to work, then great. Um, and it's, it's that same mentality, right? You need to have a mentality that your end user needs to use this and wants to use it. That's what you have to find a way to get to. Well, and and let, the, let the language go, right, Ron? Let, let that nerdy language go outside of your nerd, your nerd world, you know? Well, 
learn the language of your customer. Yes. Learn yeah. the language of your customer and then uh, translate and amplify the research against that. Um, which begs the question though, because you've worked for so many CEOs and CHROs and um, what begs the question is, um, I'm sure this comes up in the early stages of developing their program, but they want something out of it. They want some analytics out of the program that tells them that the money they're spending on this is working. What Do you see any consistency there? Because you've seen consistency in the application of leadership traits over time. Do you see any consistency of all the CEOs you've worked for, the kind of performance benchmarks they want you to deliver? And then I'm going to ask you, how do you deliver them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I, I think this, the same basic things that they're all looking for are pretty consistent, right? I mean, um, all the leaders I've worked for have have wanted to say, I want to see impact from the work we do, right? So I want to see, you know, that providing feedback to people delivers better leadership performance of some level, right? And so that can translate to, you know, business performance, yes, but that's actually a misnomer sometimes because I think business performance isn't directly related to us developing leaders, not, not immediately anyway. That's a longer term prospect. And that's kind of why it's hard to sell sometimes. But what you can see is leaders getting better, right? Feedback on leaders getting better, people seeing them as better leaders, them growing into larger jobs where they are effective in the future. And that's really the, the key metric that if you give people feedback and you help them grow and they take on larger roles in the organization and they are successful in those larger roles and you've played a part in helping shape their behavior to be that way, that's great success. Right. And so I'm really proud of the fact that, um, you know, I can look back and say that that I worked with, you know, over top 200 of the people at PepsiCo. We worked with thousands of leaders there. But but a lot of the leadership currently running the company are people that I had worked with at one point in their career to help them be better. And I can't claim I can't give credit for all of their success by any means. But I like to believe that having given them feedback and helped them think about themselves as better leaders has led to them being more successful over time. And I think that's that's a key that's a key indicator in that context, right? Now I know you're posed to ask a question, but I do have a part two for you. So go ahead, you ask your first. No, no, go ahead. Let's do part two and then I'll come okay. back. So I think that's sort of the reality of living it, right? And a colleague of mine, uh, Karen Paul, who's in talent management 3M and been there a long time, said it really well one time to me at a conference. We know we've been successful in our field if the CEO of the company is someone that we groomed at some point along the way, right? If that person steps into the job, we did a great job. The system did a great job getting them there. If we had to go outside, something probably happened. Doesn't mean we all failed, but it means we didn't develop the right way, you know? Um, and it doesn't mean we picked the one person was going to be it. It doesn't mean like we knew when they were 20 years old. It's more that we we helped develop a cadre that gets there. And that's important. Um on your other side, though, metrics. Yeah, the metrics that are standard that people do look for these days, it's things like um, they look for performance, but they also look for promotion rates. Do the people that you give feedback to uh, get promoted faster, right? Do they, do they, are they more successful in the higher level jobs? That's really about potential. Um, do they have things like reduced turnover of their teams? Are they better at maintaining and managing and retaining leaders? Do they develop other leaders themselves? So you can kind of look at percentages of their talent and what happens to their people. Um, so there's some metrics like that that are pretty consistent. Uh, they're not always easy to measure on. And, and you know, honestly, um, there's from a pure science point of view, there's a lot of other factors that go into it besides 
just the feedback we give somebody, right? But in the end, uh, if you build a robust system with with good feedback, you have leaders who appreciate feedback and who want to work to be better. Yeah, I um, using a sports analogy, you see these these coaches um, who have developed these leaders underneath them that go on to other teams to become successful coaches. You see it in the business world. And I'm, by the way, I'm not, for those of you listening, I am not saying these are great leaders, but the fact is they became a farm in which uh, other companies grab, uh, grab them and, and they went on to be future great leaders in the company. I, I think of Jack Welch during his yeah. time at GE, um, uh, for example. Um, so, so, uh, that would be probably as now the company being able to retain them and lead to upper rank echelon of leaders and get people to follow them so they can be successful in what they do, the performance of the company. Right. Uh, those are those are important trades. Do you find. And I'm thinking of your peers, not just you. Do you find your peers inside these companies are having a hard time with the ROI? Yeah, I think they are. Um, and I think, uh, you know, part of it is it's not just the work of sort of one system that you can build on your own, right? I think part of it is it's a whole architecture that has to work together. You talked about the silos early, right? There's a lot of pieces of, of sort of the talent, you know, engine, if you will, that has to work together and includes culture. It includes the senior leaders believing it. One of the biggest challenges I've heard from my colleagues elsewhere is that sometimes their senior leaders don't really believe in development. And if they don't believe enough in development and they don't sort of invest in it, both time and energy, that's a problem because you can have a great HR practice that nobody cares about, right? That they don't really want to pull on. Um, and, and the worst thing you can have is really HR as a push is just difficult, you know, for that kind of work because it should be something that's that companies embrace. And I think the one kind of saving grace, if you will, that I've seen over the years and, and less PepsiCo per se, but other colleagues is boards really do care about senior leaders. Now they care about succession. They care about who's running the company much more so than when I was consulting in the nineties. And that's a good pressure to have, I think. And you probably see this Ron, too at some level, but that's a good pressure to have because if a board, is pulling on them, then they need a succession plan. They need a bench. They need a way of looking at bench and quantifying it for the board. And that's a real driver. Um, but it's hard because, you know, you need consistency of practice and systems too, right? So you need the models that work, you need the tools that work, but you need people to be there and sort of hold the line. So one of the things that, again, was kind of unique from my experience at PepsiCo is I was in largely the same area for the 21 years and my teams rotated around me. My leaders rotated around me, but a lot of the architecture, as you, as you outlined in the beginning, carried through for that whole time. So the way that we believed in feedback, we had different tools. We changed the tools, changed the models, but the fact that we always had feedback tools, the fact that we always had leadership programs, the fact that we always had performance management, that we always had cultural and engagement types of tools, that people wanted that data from was really important because it became part of the fabric. And I think if you don't have some of that and you don't have this fabric of talent and fabric of data and fabric of feedback, it's hard to maintain a sustained engine of, of development, you know? Um, and leadership development is not a short-term thing. You know, you don't just give somebody feedback. The, one of the biggest things I've always found interesting is some leader will say to me, well, Alan, you know, give them some feedback and, and make them better. 
And then six months later, the question is, well, why aren't they better? Why aren't they performing? Well, they're not going to change their behavior overnight, right? Leadership is, these are senior people, even mid-career, who are successful. They've been leading their whole life. It's going to take time. But if you have an architecture where people believe in feedback and believe that change is good and being better leaders is a good thing, that can have the impact that you want. I'm uh, I'm being interviewed. This is a case, uh, a, a, a scenario. Um, I'm being interviewed to put in a development program. I want to ask some questions. You tell me how many I ask to qualify whether the leader who's hiring me actually believes in development and is willing to hold the line over the long game. How, what are the questions I ask? Yeah, the first question I think is, is you know, I would ask, what is your business strategy, honestly? And if they can articulate it in a simple way, that's helpful. Because half the time, I would argue some people don't know what that is. <laughs> and I know that's your specialty, but, you know, it's um, that's a key one. And the next question is, what's your talent strategy and your leadership development strategy against that? And if they don't have one or haven't really thought about it, that's a giveaway right there. If they do have something, they tell you, oh, we need, I mean, whatever it might be, you know, you can listen to it. If it has a couple of points, great. But then I would ask them, okay, so how do you operationalize that? How are you bringing that to life? Right. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of ways, as we've talked about in this, on this conversation, where you can do that performance, training, feedback tools, whatever experiences, you know, different jobs, whatever it is. Um, but I'd want to hear how that's articulated. And I want to hear some examples of things that really worked, really happened. You know, and then I'd say, okay, the last one, I'd say, so what is your vision for the future of this work? And how can I help? And if it's, oh, I just want, I want somebody to come in here and really, you know, execute this really well or continue the, the journey. Okay. Um, you know, what does that really mean? Right. Are you, do you have the science? Or are you trying? What are you trying to do exactly? And so those are the ones that I, and I guess the last one would be: What kind of resources do you put against this too? Right in the end, because the final question has got to be: You talk a good game, you have a good model, right? You say you've got stuff. You're giving me some examples, but are you committed to it to the point that you've got resources and leadership against it? Yeah, which that's is the invest. That's the investor yeah. value proposition, right? Yeah. yeah. So they they have to show they're investing in it. Um, yeah. As, as the final one, but you said something so profound, you know, there's this old thing, I think it was attributed to, um, to Drucker, um, not sure he ever said it like most attributions, <laughs> uh, but you've heard it, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. yep. And, and so we, we end up having, this is why your series of questions were so profound to me. We, we have these programs, but you can develop the best employee engagement programs and leadership development programs in the world. But if your strategy is broken or doesn't exist, right. You know, you're, you know, your, your investment is going to go away there because yeah. people are not going to believe in you. You're, you're, you're they're not going to trust you because your fundamental strategy of the business is broken. Right. And you start with what's your business strategy. And if so, how are you, creating leadership leaders right. around it. How are right. you? And then, you know, so I love your series of questions. Am, am I right though? Is, is strategy in a sense come before culture? It has to come before culture because that's, what's driving the business. I mean, culture is there. Let's face it. You, you can't, it's always there in a company, but 
strategy is is what the leaders are doing to the company and where it's going right and what the purpose of the business is so if you don't have that articulated you can have a great warm and fuzzy culture but nobody knows what they're doing and the business won't survive right so that's that's kind of the the starting point to me is the strategy but articulate that cleanly and then it's a question of how is that being translated fundamentally right how is it being translated from a strategy point of view a practices point of view an application point of view and then what are you investing right it's the whole chain that goes with it um when you hear all that though and you say listen we know what we're doing i know what you're trying to build i buy into it and i think you're doing a great job starting out or you've got some good stuff or you want to invest in some good stuff that's well, that's what you want to hear you know um, and if you have them say, we've got award-winning processes and they focus on that and there's really no link to anything else, you got to wonder, those probably came from a past era. I mean, or there were some really good people doing some really good stuff that were disconnected, right? And and that happens, right? I mean, we know that happens. But if you're interviewing for a, a job or a prospect of that sort, you want to hear the entire value chain together. And that is why this is a great conversation with Alan Church. Um we have many prescriptions here. Leadership development can be complex, but at the end of the day, it's also it's also the recipe is there. We just have to follow it. Alan Church, thank you for a great conversation. Thanks very much, Ron. Hey.